on this week's episode of the Green Door Podcast. Ads and James sit around Bag End talking about heavenly bodies. We debate whether or not when designing the sun and the moon, the powers went for the low-hanging fruit. We talk about a giant turtle who's covered in mud. Not to mention a flying spaceship driven by a lady balrog. And May stops by with her insight and some moon pies. All this and much more coming up right now. to see you happy late new year buddy it's february <laughs> hey buddy yeah great to see you too how was the walk over uh the walk was fantastic it's been uh, a mixed bag of weather uh from my end of the world to bag end yeah a lot of cold wet slushy snowy stuff falling from the sky but i'm really glad to be here it's always cozy and it looks to me like you've got uh, a fire ready to go in the hearth there yeah, yeah i have yeah i'm uh, just about to light uh, light the fire now. So let, let me just finish that off. Here we go. There we go. That's that's cool. That's good. Um, did the uh, did the dwarfs get you on the uh, walkover? I sent them out earlier on so that we could record in some peace and quiet. And they were they were planning to do something in the uh, the big field. I think. Uh, I heard a lot of noise, but I didn't really see what was going on. I made my way, my way in here to record um, sort of as soon as possible. Yeah, uh, I've got a little I've... Day, daylight left on my end uh, of the world, and when I walk over here in daylight, it's always a little more pleasant. Well, I've got I've got a few concerns that even though we said not to, they might be trying to uh, reenact the Battle of the Five Armies again. I'm not sure. There was a pig involved, I think. It's always their favorite game. Well, that's a good warning to the listeners, then. If you hear a little extra noise in the recording tonight, um, you, you know what it is. Uh, certainly not uh, misbehaving children, probably dwarves running amok. I, that, I'd second that, definitely. James, do you want a biscuit? I have found a couple in the, uh, in the larder. This one's a chocolate one, I could one, smell I them before I open the door ads, and absolutely, yeah, pass one of those over here, please. Yeah, here you get it, mate. I'm going to... Mm. Take a bite myself. Oh, that's good. Mm. That might that might be delicious. Prob- that probably one amaze. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, They're always delicious. Yeah, they are good. Well, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Green Door Podcast. Uh, it's 2020, and we're not going to make you wait much longer. Uh, we're going to dive into the pages of the Silmarillion. We left you uh, in the dark, and today we're going to talk about the sun and the moon. We are. Ads, are you excited? Excited to jump in because I always, always get really excited on recording days. <laughs> this has been um, an episode that we've been trying to do. We have actually done. We've physically done this episode before. Um, it feels like we're having deja vu. Eh? <laughs> and we had a few technicalities. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's always good, always good to sit down and speak with my buddy from across the seas. Um, it's currently... It's actually half eight, half eight, uh, with me, and it's a little bit, 
earlier for you, I believe. So, um, yeah. Yeah, officially my kids are at the ski hill and I'm home alone, but they'll be trampling in soon and hopefully they'll have their ski boots off or those dwarves are going to be making a lot of noise above us. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, mate, where do we get to? Uh, May. Where is May? That's a question for us. That uh, is true. May is offici- officially she's not here. She was here and, and you may just hear her uh, popping in and out. In fact, uh, by the window, is that, I think I hear whistling. Yeah, there, there she goes. See, so um, you may hear May uh, in and out of Bag End, um, but I don't think she'll be here for long. I do know that she promised ads to enlighten us uh, on some Norse mythology and some history of the sun and the moon she did. Uh, creation stories. So we yeah, will hear from did. her. Because uh, there was a danger, James, that, um, that Mythology was going to have to be renamed uh, Jadsthology for tonight, but hopefully... May will get some input, so if we can still call it mythology. Ads. James. The sun and the moon. Yes. Let's go. The sun and the moon um, has, has, uh, has us chomping at the bit to dive into the pages, and I, I don't know if the best way to start is, is probably to have you read something, so uh, whether or not that's the best way, that's the way I think we'll do it. Okay. Uh, ads, if you could cue us up, um, and, and just before Ads dives into the pages, I'll summarize where we were since it's been a little while. Um, Since we got together and spoke about it, uh, we were left in the dark because the trees have fallen. And um, that giant spider and that um, Morgoth Melkor rascal have (laughs) uh, ruined everything and left the Valar in silence uh, and in council. And uh, everything's dead in the Undying Lands. Not everything's dead, but the trees are dead and everything's dark in the Undying Lands. And so, yeah, let's uh, let you read about uh, what is rekindleable and what's not and some beautiful stuff that the professor wrote, and we'll uh, talk more about it afterwards, Ads. Okay. Then Mamwe bade Yavanna and Niena to put forth all their powers of growth and healing, and they put forth all their powers upon the trees. But the tears of Niena availed not to heal their mortal wounds. And for a long while, Yavanna sang alone in the shadows. Yet, even as hope failed and her song faltered, Tel Perion bore at last upon a leafless bough one great flower of silver, and Laurelin a single fruit of gold. These Yavanna took, and then the trees died, and their lifeless stems stand yet in Valinor, a memorial of vanished joy. But the flower and the fruit Yavanna gave to Ole, and Mamwe hallowed them, and Ole and his people made vessels to hold them and preserve their radiance, as is said in the Narsilion, the song of the sun and moon. These vessels the Valar gave to Ibarda, that they might become lamps of heaven, outshining the ancient stars, being nearer to Arda. And she gave them power to traverse the lower regions of Ilmen, and set them to voyage upon appointed courses above the girdle of the earth, from the west unto the east, and to return. It's uh, well read, as, as always, and it's striking to me, especially when you hear someone else read it, how the language matches the language um, when they discuss the introduction of the lamps and how 
um, Aule, you know, built them and Manway hallowed them. Yeah. And they were raised. It's, it's like, a, you know, that, that language repeated. Uh, the process repeated. They're trying again. Um, it's, and it's really, really uh, a, a beautiful, powerful idea that the sun and the moon are rekindled fruits. Completely. You know, that, that Yavanna uh, was, you know, poured all of her, uh, you know, mother nature powers um, and thought and, and into, you know, being able to just one fruit a piece from the two trees and that was it. I don't know, it's, it's really, really um, beautiful, really. It is, it is beautiful. I mean, I can't help um, but think... When you when you read the uh, the bit where it says the trees died and their lifeless stems stand yet in Valinor, and then a memorial of vanished joy, that immediately makes me think mm. of um, the the twin towers. And after after nine eleven, you know, for many months, you had just the steel sort of bases of those two towers sort of there as a memorial for some time until they then obviously built. Um, the the new the new tower and and the the fountains there, but yeah, I just think it's a very power, very powerful image. Absolutely, and and the fact that there's something dead in the undying lands that yes. they left dead, they didn't uproot it and like plant a new. You know, that's there's there's a death in the undying lands, which is, which is crazy in itself, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, it you, is, but it it, it reflects another sentence in that. Um, chapter where it says um, something to the effect of, and I can plug this in afterwards if I get it terribly wrong, but it says um, how Manway um, realized that it was good that there was evil. Um, you know, good that evil had been. Yes. Uh, and, it, it, you know, the, the stump of the dead tree is, is that idea sort of uh, materialized. Completely. I mean, we've said this all along, haven't we? How, you know, throughout the the chapters we've already read, there is great beauty, great great joy that that comes from an evil act or an evil person, and that that's actually something that is built into you know the the song um, of creation, and this is just another example of of where. You know, you have the sun and the moon, and the only reason that they are there as, you know, as creations is due to the act that um, that Melkor and um, that, that big spider did. Ungoliant, she's awful. Jeez. Thus, even as Eru spoke to us, shall beauty not before conceived be brought into Ea, and evil yet be good to have been. Mm. Uh, that's right at the top of uh, page 110 in mine. And so, yeah, the, the, the idea that they leave the, uh, the tree stump there is a pretty powerful one. Yeah. It's like a reminder uh, to them. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, not just a reminder of sort of the mistakes, I don't think, although it can be, I'm sure it can be seen that way. But I just I think also a reminder um, that nothing is for nothing. That... No. Even even the worst day breeds better days, um, and I, I you know that's a pretty powerful thing for a Christian. I think that's a pretty uh, easy parallel or the easy line to draw. Yeah. To to someone of faith, I'm not someone of faith, but I like that idea a lot, so I can buy into it. And do you know? Um, do, do, yeah. you know do you know what else, James? That 
in that in that sort of hour of, of evil, in that in the the act that that was, the the Valar, as the texts say, you know, they actually mourn the loss of Feanor more than actually the loss of these, you know, these wonderful trees. And the exact exact opposite of what Feanor sort of was accusing them of, right? Exactly. Thinking, you know, you don't care about me. You don't care about your people. You only care about this tree. You want my my similars. You want the light. So you know, you don't care about us or my creations. But really, yeah, yeah, that's a and, big point that's important to make. It makes it makes Manway cry. I mean, <laughs> this is this is a really powerful kind of act. And I, I wonder, and I guess, I guess I'd like your your views on this, but. Feanor, Feanor's um, actions, is this something that, that they've always known that he was going to turn bad? Because they seem to mourn what he could have been. So that, to me, suggests that that part of him wasn't necessarily set in stone, you know, in the song. And I wonder whether... That is the case, or whether actually Manway, because he's crying, it's almost like a, we couldn't change that. It had to happen. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think, I think it's really debatable and depends on your point of view, but for me, I think it's like the Valar have a, an idea. Um, if it's a hike, they know what the end of the hike looks like. Yeah. They know what the top of the mountain looks like, but they don't know what every step of the walk looks like. They just know where they're going to end up. And they know sure. in order to get there, they've got to go in a certain direction most of the time. But I, I don't think that they see every pitfall. And, and some of it is surprising. I have to believe a lot of it's surprising to them and it makes them act and react. I don't think any of it is necessarily surprising to Iluvatar. He may have been able to foresee every step. I think that's more debatable. Agreed. But I, I think, yeah, Manway and Mandos and even you know the most farsighted still seem to be surprised and thrown off by, you know, these events for sure. Hmm. Good question, Ed. <clears throat> uh, at any rate, I think another uh, important thing to sort of notice in the chapter ads is that uh, it, the uh, Valar, again, don't act necessarily. They're silent and motionless. But that doesn't mean they're doing nothing. No. Uh, right? It says in the text that they, they, are, uh, they, they hold counsel with each other Sort of, you know, telepathically, right? Completely, yeah. They're, they're considering. I mean, it's amazing, really. They're considering all that has happened, but then also all that that potentially will happen as well. I mean, it says about how uh, you know they they held vigil uh, and their thought passed back beyond Aya and forth to the end. Um, so they're basically <laughs> they're they're doing anything but. Um, just sitting around. Right. And, and again, you know, the Manway's biggest fear is to, is to act and have his action be the cause of unnecessary, you know, grief or suffering or, uh, you know, detracting or deflecting from the, the music, the ultimate goal of getting to the, you know, the end of the hike, the top of the mountain, the end of the music, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think there's, there are... There are bits in the text which you know refer to finally acting or you know eventually getting round to and, and that sort of process, that sort of thought. Um, and the only the only thing I, I guess I looked at when I 
when I read this again, you wonder whether they would have been able to get a bit more out of the dying trees if they had acted um, physically a little bit earlier. So I appreciate that they were obviously sitting around and they were they were debating everything. But I guess there was a period of time when those trees were dying and if they had just physically tried to revive them a little bit earlier, maybe they'd have got more than, you know, the one uh, flower of silver and the one fruit of gold. But in saying that... That's fair. They and don't, then we they don't need like any more than that, though, do they? Sons. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, twin... <laughs> Star Wars. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, two sons, agreed. But if if... And I think there is... There is evidence of this from earlier in the book and greater minds than me will be able to immediately jump on exactly when this was said but I get the feeling that actually this is this is being predicted by I want to say Mandos already about how um, you know the great light this great light would actually bring about the ending of the elves so I don't think he was thinking about the trees with this no, does that make sense? I mean, right. I, I, I it, think it he's absolutely. known there is going to be this this son, and as a and, result, and of the, the sun, men were going to be born. Yeah, the second second born were going to be born under the sun. Mandos knew a whole lot that he kept to himself. So again, it's all about you know what what they know they've got to get to, and actually how they get there is kind of irrelevant in a little bit. I feel like our good buddy Jeff Lasala probably said something really smart about this. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a number of things that that I've sort of taken from reading Jeff's Silmarillion Primer, which is fantastic. If anyone is struggling to to take on board what the Silmarillion is about, to appreciate, you know, the the finer details, or just wants to understand it in a really modern way, you know, relating it to the here and now. You know, read and laugh. Yeah, you know, a self-contained, wonderfully written piece. Even well, if you don't read the Silmarillion after, it's still terrific, right? It is, it is. But the, the bit that I read um, earlier on, where it talks of the Valar finally getting up and doing stuff, Yavanna and Nianna uh, trying to um, get the last little bits out of the tree, and then uh, Ole and Manwe and, and Vardu, and how the, the sun and the moon finally sort of make their way into the skies... Jeff described that as a bit of an A-team montage scene. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-team. Um... We, we hopefully know what you mean when we say the A-team. So there was always in the A-team um, a couple of minute uh, montage scene where they'd be stuck in a garage, they'd be locked in, um, there'd be some 80s music in the background and they'd make like an armoured tank out of like paper mache and, and a few balloons or something. And yeah, right. This, <laughs> this scene is very much kind of like, right, activity now, let's do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then we'll, we'll solve the problem. Um, and I loved it. I just, I just thought, yes, Jeff, that is perfect. He's just, that's his, that's his gift, though. It's putting it like a, a modern spin 
and uh, uh, I mean, I'm hope, I'm pop culture you, take. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping you've got some Please. A2 music playing in the background now. Of course I do. That's yeah. absolutely going to happen. <laughs> I know you They, they well. MacGyvered the situation with the other 80s reference. But yeah, no, Jeff, Jeff <laughs> read Jeff LaSala's primer at tour.com. Read it uh, and then read it again. It makes the Silmarillion more fun. And if you know the Silmarillion well... Um, you'll really get a kick out of the uh, the humour in his primer. It's really you good. will. And, and what's brilliant as well is, yeah, as I think you said, James, you read the Silmarillion, you then read what Jeff thinks or how Jeff writes about it, and then you go back and read the same bit, and it makes it so much easier to understand. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, ads, I hear dwarves that are going to need me for like one minute, so I apologise, but I have to pause our conversation for like one minute. Or That's maybe right. two, but I'll be back as soon as I can. No worries. So, James has gone out the front door of um, Bag End, and yeah, he's gone down down the path, through the front gate. Right, okay, I've seen what the problem is. Um, it looks like there's a dwarf on top of a pig, and he's yeah, he's knocked over um, the gaffer. He's knocked over the gaffer. There's a bit of a commotion going on um, just outside the front gate. Oh, that's the gate. I'm just, I'm just gonna, I think, shut the door and pretend I'm not here. Pigs alone! Oh, brother. Well, I think I got everything settled, Ads. We're gonna have to bring some uh, ice up to the gaffer. Whew. Um, I'm gonna gather myself here. Worked up quite the thirst, but um, I think everything's under control. Uh, so, Ads, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I'm a little thirsty. I'm gonna just take a, a bit of this ginger beer. Oh, I like the, uh, the spicy ginger beer myself. Can you pour me some? Absolutely. Here you go, buddy. Oh, that, that looks great. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Cheers. Oh, wow. Yeah, cheers. Cheers, everyone. Um, excuse me. As, as I was saying... Yeah. Uh, Off-air earlier, we were discussing some of the other sun and moon creation myth uh, ideas. Yeah. And uh, this, is, this is really nice, and, and we'll get further into how... Uh, those pieces of fruit get kindled up into the sky. Okay. But before we do, I thought I'd, I'd pause and interject sort of uh, a, little, a little research I did, and I'm going to start by clarifying I am a non-expert. I'm a non-spurt um, <laughs> when it comes to uh, anything I'm about to talk about. This is really surface Wikipedia, Google um, information. I'll do my best to deliver it as accurately as, as I can, but uh, I'm no expert. But I thought it was interesting... Uh, that I learned uh, where I live in my part of the world, in uh, the Montreal area, there uh, are several different uh, tribes, and uh, the Mohawk Indian, um, the Mohawk, excuse me, Mohawk Native North Americans, uh, the Mohawks are the ones I know best because I grew up in a town that's adjacent uh, to a Mohawk community. Do you really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so my like my high school had a high percentage of uh, Mohawk students. 
Um, the other option besides my school would have been um, um, there's a, what they call survival school on okay. Uh, in, in the Mohawk community, which um, many of them attend. But uh, if you came off um, or out of the community, then you probably came to my school. Not many of them went to French school. Anyway, all to say yeah. that I was familiar with the Mohawk um, creation myth a tiny bit, but I had to do a, a research to, to inform myself um, on anything more than the idea that um, North America... The world is is built on the back of a turtle. Um, that's an Iroquois um, idea. That's that's a, the bigger sort of umbrella um, name to the, uh, for the natives I'm speaking about. Okay. And the Iroquois have this creation myth where, and here I go making a whole bunch of mistakes as I go. I'm sure. Um, in the beginning, uh, there was no um, there was no land on Earth. Uh, Earth was just a globe uh, of water. And in the sky lived the sky people. Um, and one day, um, sky man and sky woman were in their garden under the tree of light. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the tree of light, uh, should sound slightly familiar, the tree of light uh, bore fruit and was very important for the sky people. Uh, it was the only tree on the uh, in, in the sky island, in fact. And one day... Um, Sky Woman uh, tells her, and this is where the myth, the legend gets uh, a little foggy. Depending on where I went and where I read and who I listened to, yeah, it's her husband, it's her brother, it's her father. Um, sure, there's, a, there's a, some deviation. And, and, right, and sometimes he's angry, sometimes he's indifferent, uh, so his reaction is different depending on if he's married to her or not, if he's her yeah. father or not. Um, but she says, I'm pregnant with twins. And... Uh, as a consequence to this, either he, um, in anger, or sh- or her, in frustration, um, rip up the only tree uh, on the Sky Island. They rip it out of the ground. Okay. And leaving a hole. And then she falls through the hole. Either she's pushed through, or she falls through out of curiosity. Again, this sort of uh, varies a little. But the idea is she falls through and starts falling towards uh, the ocean. And on her way down, birds see her and catch her. Eagles, um, swans, uh, different birds, depending on the, the teller. I, and, yeah. and probably depending on the uh, region, right? Probably the animals would fit the region. Yeah. Uh, North America is a big place. But so the birds are worried about Sky Woman, and they don't want her to drown, and they can't keep her in, you know, af- afloat forever. So they, they start communicating with the sea creatures who uh, devise a plan, and, and so they start diving to the bottom of the ocean to try to bring up mud from the bottom of the ocean to put on the turtle's back to make land for okay. her to live on. Yeah. And the first few animals die. Um, it's only the, uh, the sea otter or the toad, depending, again, I guess, on the region you're from. <coughs> but only you know, one particular animal is able to make the dive and come back up uh, with, with uh, mud in its mouth, and this process is repeated until there's enough mud uh, and earth on the turtle's back for her to live on. And uh, through her powers of of living on it, the turtle grows and grows as she walks on its back. And together, you know, uh, she sort of, uh, Mother Nature imbues it. She's like the Mother Nature figure who, who, who um, evokes all this growth on the back of the turtle. And he grows enormous, and North America is, is born in consequence. And she's like okay. the mother yeah. figure. Yeah. Well, down the line, um, she eventually has those twins that got her, you know, thrown down the hole or, you know, 
that caused this whole <laughs> thing to begin. And one of the twins is good and one of the twins is bad. And um, they, end, they wind up um, killing her, or the bad one does, I guess, or, or when she dies, again, foggy. Um, right. So I apologize yeah. for, the, for the... It's not that it's bad research necessarily, although I'm not going to say I spent hours and hours. I didn't. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it, there really are many widely varying stories. A lot of hand and mouth, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of passed down from um, generation to generation, spoken word. Uh, history, yeah. so I guess the stories vary. But uh, eventually, um, she dies, and or she's, she's killed, and her, the good son, in order to protect her from the bad one, um, puts her head in the sky as the sun and, and makes the stars, out, stars and moon out of her breath. Out of her breath. That was the dwarves. Crikey, what are they doing My now? word. I think they're throwing <sighs> pots and pans. Those Gamgee. are not weapons. Gamgee is going to go guys. nuts. He's going to go nuts. They've already knocked him down once. Ugh. Sorry, He's got James. mud all over his, his brand new suspenders, too. <laughs> uh, I will carry on. Um, I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, but I'm almost done at the end of my uh, inappropriately inaccurate tale. Um, <laughs> not at all. Uh, but, yeah, so he, he makes the uh, stars and moon out of her chest. Her, okay. her breast, her midsection, and, and the sun out of her head yeah. to keep her memory alive in the, in the heavens forever. So that's the, uh, the sun and the moon creation story. And I thought, I thought it was interesting for a few reasons, but a, a, a lot of what struck me was how the tree idea and the tree of light, first of all, idea um, totally. paralleled a lot of what the professor um, wrote. And also, um, something I neglected to mention, but... Um, all of that, the tree and the island and the sky, people all sung into existence, all created through music, uh, according to the native North American uh, stories. Really? So I thought that was also, yeah. That's, that a, was real, also, that's a real connection, and, isn't there? An, an interesting, strong uh, connection, and I don't think it was drawn on by the professor. I've never heard that before. Maybe it was. He's a pretty well-studied um, and, and uh, educated man, but I don't think he drew on that specifically, but I thought it was a nice parallel. It'd be really interesting to um, yeah to know what May what May thought of that. Um, well, I know that May's going to have something to interject about the um, stars being of her bosom, and that's going to be a good segue. May, who's just appeared at the window. Hello, guys. May. Hey, May. What great timing. Hi, Ed. Hi, James. Good stuff. We didn't think you'd turn up. I'm so sorry. I'm late. Anyways, I hope you guys don't mind, but I brought you guys a basket full of goodies. Some blueberry macaroons for ants and some mooncakes for you, James. Hope you like them. Talking about the moon, guys. Did you know that the moon and the sun played central roles in pre-Christian religions? Go on. The Greco-Romans embodied the sun as masculine. And uh, they had the god Apollo to personify it. But they also had a cult, the cult of Mithras, which is a deity from... The Middle Eastern cultures, I would say. And as a side note, I'm going to point out that much of our modern cu culture, much of our modern um, Christmas calendar derives from the ancient cult of Mithras, which used to be celebrated on December 25th back in the Roman days. When the Roman Empire officially became a Christian state about in the year 380 CE, I believe, 
They saw the cult of Mithras as the perfect time for celebrating the birth of their golden boy, Jesus Christ. Did you guys know this? I did know that. Hmm. I want to ask our listeners the same question. Potties. Did you guys know about the roots of Christmas? And if you didn't, what do you make of it? Hit us up with your thoughts and comments over on Twitter, on our Facebook page, and I'd love to see where this discussion goes. Now, back in the Viking Age, the moon had an important role in the way Europeans animated their world. Pre-modern peasant societies based themselves on the phases of the moon. For example, certain things would only take place during the waxing of the moon so that the goods would be charged with the power of the moon. For example, candle making would be done during the waxing moon so that it may burn brighter. Trees would be cut down during this time so that the wood may burn longer, and so on. It was also a time when animals were slaughtered because it was said that the meat would actually be tastier. And because you had all this food and this excellent source of combustion, what better time than propose to the love of your life? So marriage proposals were also uh, usually a happening during the waxing moon. And on the contrary, the wanting moon was considered the best time to sow root vegetables or any crops that would not grow too fast for fear of being exposed to frost. The wanting moon was also a great time to treat ailments such as lice infestations or boils. Mm. The runic calendar counted one month from one new moon to the next. And this system is millennia old. And it's even documented in the Roman archives or history archives in a book called Germania or Germania. And funnily enough, as recently as the 15th century, a bishop, a bishop in Jutland wrote about a massive gathering of heathens who knelt and prayed to the new moon. He wrote that they also worshipped the sun. The first new moon after the winter solstice was considered to be the beginning of the new year when people gave offerings of bread to the moon. So the idea that the moon and sun are central to people's beliefs is something that uh, was current up until recently. But how does mythology personify these astral bodies? In Norse mythology, the moon is male and the sun is female. Now, this might sound a little counterintuitive for those who remember quite the opposite from the Greco-Roman lore, but the Norse aren't the only ones with this specific dichotomy. You see, African mythology has inclusions of the sun as a goddess, and so does the Australian Aboriginals. Some same for the Baltic and Basque and Japanese and even Inuit mythologies. Now, the Celts are different. The Celts have an impressive number of deities that are both male and female, both associated with the sun. But even now in Norse paganism, the sun is feminine, and she may be called Sol, or she may be called Suna. Suna is said to ride on a chariot pulled by her horse, Skinfaxe, which means shining mane. 
But what about the moon, you'll say? In Norse mythology, Mani is Suna's brother, and he embodies the moon. And for, for those of you who are fans of the Netflix series The Witcher, yep, Geralt or Rivia is a good fit for what Mani might look like. Maybe having a male deity for moon sounds odd to you, but think about the concept of the man in the moon, which refers to one of the several images of a human face or that certain traditions recognize as appearing on the disk of the moon when it's full. Now, in Norse mythology, the sun and moon are siblings, and they are the children of a man called Mundilferi. And because Mundilferi was arrogant and wouldn't stop boasting about how perfect his kids were, the, the gods took his children and placed them up in the heavens for everyone to admire. Manny drives a wagon across the sky. In it, he pulls a chunk of rock from Muspelheim. And it's that chunk of rock from the fiery land of giants that gives the moon its glow. Manny's horse is known as Rimfaxe, or Frostmane. Manny is also helped by two children who travel with him, Bill and Yuki, who carry a tub on a crossbow. Some speculate that the helping siblings are in fact the original Jack and Jill, which we've come to know so well. Tolkien goes out of his way to explain the occurrence of eclipses in his cosmology. Here's what the myths have to say about that. In Norse mythology, there's a giant wolf called Fenrir. This monster wolf has two sons, Hati and Skull, who also graze their skies. Hati runs after the moon, and Skull runs after the sun. Whenever there's an eclipse, one of the wolves catches up to the orb it's chasing and swallows it whole for a brief moment. At Ragnarok, Fenrir will gape open his maw, and as he does, the massive wolf will swallow both land and sky, effectively killing Suna and Mani. Only Suna's daughter will survive the carnage and carry on her mother's legacy in the new world reborn. Well, how's that for mooncakes, guys? And those macaroons? Mm-mm-mm. Thanks for the tea, guys. But the road back home is long, and I need to catch an eagle before they turn in for the night. See you all soon. That was good. I like that. My knowledge of old Norse mythology really is very, very recent. I mean, I have to admit that I used to read Tolkien without really appreciating all this finer detail. And it's only since I've been involved in green door podcast and you know speaking in depth with same james and may yeah i mean i I'm, no I'm, learning no stuff. I'm learning stuff all the time and one of the fascinating things is obviously where the professor got all of his great ideas from so um i'm gonna sort of paraphrase a little bit about what i understand um in simplistic terms the sort of old norse mythology uh with regards to creation of day and night um, so they uh, are personified as giants. Um, the gods placed uh, the dark giantess Not, which was night, and then her bright and beautiful son Dag, who was day, um, in the sky. Uh, and they followed each other around the world uh, once every 24 hours. 
Um, but the gods also took uh, uh, the beautiful brother and sister, Manny, which was the moon, and Sol, which was the sun, and they put them in the sky as well. Um, and according to, uh, according to myth, both Manny and Sol move quickly across the sky because they are pursued by wolves. Um, and Ragnarok, the end of the world, will follow not long after the day when the wolves, the children of a giantess, finally catch and devour them. So that's my little two cents, uh, two pence, with regards to sort of the sun and the moon from Norse mythology. Uh, well done, Ed. Yeah, I'm trying. A Gandalf lightning strike interruption because uh, ads is doing better than trying uh, that was a great input section and the reason we had a little overlapping information from may and ads there is because we weren't able to uh, actually get together to record and when we got may's uh, segment uh, it's obviously as well thought out and researched as usual uh, but i did want to include uh, some of ads homework as well so you got sort of two perspectives uh, of some of the same information so that's it uh, behind the scenes uh look as to why that overlapped. I know we probably tricked you with our incredible editing magic, but we were never uh, all together for this episode. I'll get you right back to it, though. No, I think that was great. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I I just think... love how he gets all these ideas from, you know, from, from everywhere, really. I don't doubt that he, he would have known about... about um, you know, the North American from the Mohawk perspective, as you said, we don't have any evidence, but he was so well read and he, he would have, I'm sure, looked into not just, you know, the Norse mythology, but all sorts. He was pretty interested in creation, so I, I, wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be shocked to find that out, that's for sure. Especially the music link. Well, and as May liked to point out, <coughs> excuse me, as May liked to point out, um, you know, music is math. And math is music, so she, she, she likes to say that the current theory is a theory based on creation through music, the Big yeah. Bang Theory. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, did, just, this is a quick side note, but did you find that the uh, names um, for night and day, uh, not and dag, sound, sound like basically just straight Irish speak for night and day? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hadn't until just then, but yeah. You need to do the accent, surely, now. <laughs> it's the middle of the night. Do it tomorrow, Johnny Merdag. Those not and dag definitely sound just like straight up. Um, I, Dave Donovan, call in and tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, I want to I move from... I I, I'm on the spot, but I'll throw that... I'm sure I'll plug that accent in uh, after hours. <laughs> But uh, I, want to, I want to move to the, uh, the idea of the sun and the moon chasing each other across the sky. Uh, we'll move back into the, uh, the book for that, Ads, because that's sort of exactly what happens, right? Um, it does, yeah. It, do you, the, yeah, go ahead. I, mean, do, I was going to say, do, do we want to just sort of like set the scene with regards to actually the characterization of the moon and the sun? So you have... Yes. You have Isil, the moon, um, who is sort of manned by the Maya... Uh, Tilion, and then you have Anar, or the, the sun, and uh, 
the Maya responsible for the sun is uh, Arian. And I just think she sounds so badass. Yeah, there's that wonderful chapter, isn't there? That wonderful sort of paragraph in the chapter where they're described and, you know, their characteristics, their personalities um, derive strongly from the actual Maya themselves. Right. Uh, I like it says, uh, I'm going to read her part and, and you can discuss his, but it says, Too bright were the eyes of Arian for even the Eldar to look on. And yeah. leaving Valinor, she forsook the, she forsook the form and raiment, which, like the Valar, she had worn there. And she was a naked flame, terrible in the fullness of her splendor. That's awesome! It is awesome, right. So, so listen to this, because this is taken straight from um, the Silmarillion Primer. This is Jeff Lasala's words, but they are too good not to put into audio. So, Jeff says, Take a moment to appreciate Arian and her heaven-riding vessel. Appreciate that you're learning now that the sun in Tolkien's world, you know, the yellow face that Gollum shuns and the orcs and trolls fly from, is basically a magical UFO piloted by a flying, benevolent she-balrog in outer space. How good is that? Magnifique. Perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. Magnificent. Yeah. And that's that's just the sun. It. You move on to you move on to uh, the moon. So <laughs> that, this is Tilion, who's a hunter of the company of Orome, and he has a silver bow. He's a lover of silver. So we see the moon, we you know, we, we understand this this shiny orb in the sky, but the may, the Maya that is in charge of guiding the moon across the you know across across the sky is silver like silver etc etc it's just it's just i, I want to pause there too ads and, and point out he chose the job of manning that vessel forever leaving you know the other powers on the planet yeah um f- because he loved the silver glow of the fruit of the tree so much and he was so devastated at the loss of the tree and the fruit that he said, okay, I'll take that job and I'll, you know, I'll guide that last piece of that light uh, and protect it forever. It's brilliant. That's really like po- poetic and powerful, yeah. It is brilliant. And while we're talking about the moon, I mean, this is a little bit later on in the chapter, but you know where um, it discusses how um, Melkor, he's, he's too scared of the sun. He, he's not going to try and, and, and take on the sun, but he's quite happy to send his minions after the, the moon. Um, and it says uh, he uh, Morgoth hated the new lights and was for a while confounded by this unlooked for stroke of the Valar then he assailed Tilian sending spirits of shadow against him and there was strife in Ilmen beneath the pass of the stars uh, but Tilian was victorious and what I love about that is I get this image of this, this shiny new moon completely smooth and, and wonderful and then you know, Melkor attacks it, and that's where you get the craters on the moon. A hundred percent. And I just love again, that like idea. We've spoken about in the past. It ties in. You know, when you when you connect something in our real world to this yeah. fantasy world, it just makes everything more real. It's brilliant. Believable. It's brilliant. Awesome. Do you think we should make a point of saying that um, uh, the Valar treat this whole situation very differently to what we have experienced them doing before? So. 
there's there's very good reasons why they they don't um, you know they don't go out and uh, attack Melkor and and try and deal with with him following uh, his actions on the trees because they know that you know the men are are coming that that the the birth of the men is is soon to be and the last time they went out and and sent Tolkus to have a play the <laughs> the middle earth uh was was somewhat damaged and so this yeah, way they didn't want to smash the men they didn't know where they were right that's, they that's didn't. the other problem they didn't know where and they also know that the men are more vulnerable than the elves i suspect and so you know right. any damage would have really really caused um problems so th- the sun and the moon is their way of sort of trying to provide a service to middle earth to give light um instead of um instead of sort of strength i guess no absolutely it was it was like protection and it says just about that at the end of this chapter when it says you know and then after they they set the uh, the two vessels into the sky and you know the moon, you know, had a hard time keeping time and was chasing the sun, but couldn't get too close, and mm. and would even you know burn himself. And it, it gives you gives you this great this great imagery of the moon waxing and waning, and and you know being off time, and sometimes being in the sky at the same time yeah. as the sun, even though it sort of feels like he shouldn't be. And I love that moment in the day. Like I used to like when I was a kid, and I'd be playing sports, and I, if I looked up and saw the moon out in the day, I felt like it was like. Had extra powers that day. I just I always liked that feeling of seeing the moon in the sky as a kid. No, agreed. It's great, and as you said, it happens. It happens a fair bit. You know, it's one of those links to to us and what we what we appreciate. And um, I just love the way Tolkien brings that into this this wonderful story into the into the myth he's created. Uh, I mean, I I love the bit where it says about how the sun is drawn down by the servants of Olmo. So you get sort of the sun sort of sitting on the sea a little bit. And, of course. And that takes me back to, you know, younger days watching the sun go down in Ibiza, you know, and, and having a beer and listening to some chill-out music and just leaving, seeing the sun sort of slowly descend into the sea. And, well, and when it gets to the sea, that, that it, it does that melding, melting thing where it looks like they're chilling together, right? It looks yeah. like they're hanging out, the two of them, because of the colours and the, and the dispersion of light and, yeah... Definitely, definitely. Um, no, it's just it's just a really clever chapter, and and creates just creates this wonderful imagery throughout. Um, what do you make about um, what do you make about the Valar choosing to isolate themselves? Well, uh, it's going to lead us nicely into the next chapter. That question, but I'll I'll say I think. It's more of the same. They they did they did the A team scene where they like finally realized some action was necessary, and then they another another analogy would be like all eighties movies, yeah, um, all eighties comedies uh, basically had one scene where they would fix something up, you know, someone's car, the the frat house, the uh, you know whatever it is, the the makeover for the for the person who needs the job, mm. uh, clean up after the party, but it would happen in like. About sixteen shots, quick quick action shots, and one song, and then the whole problem would be cleaned up, or the whole house would be renovated. Yeah, and that's sort of what the Valar did here. And then they go back to like, okay, now we'll just sit back and do nothing. And they go and they sit in the Undying Lands and they light the sun and they say, okay, 
Now we wait. Now we watch. Yeah, because they very much, you know, they, they, they raise up the mountain walls, don't they, of the Pylori. Um, they, they create the Enchanted Isles, which always makes me think of um, uh, Harry Potter. So, you know, the, the, the idea that if anyone gets too close to these Enchanted Isles, they forget they've left the cooker on or whatever and they have to go back home. And the same thing happened with um, Harry Potter, with uh, the protective spell where... Hermione set up uh, around her Harry and Ron um, and if you got too close to it you'd, you'd forget or remember something that you needed to go and do and you wouldn't go any further and this this sort of protection that the Valar then create around themselves it does set the scene as you said for uh, for future well, future chapters especially the next one of, of men where we see how the relationship that the Valar have with the elves and then the relationship that they have moving forward with men um, is extremely different from this point on. Absolutely, yeah. Dif- different than it was with the elves and, and different than the elves have um, with men as well. Like Those two relationships are also very different, right? The, the men and the elves, uh, although more like each other in the beginning, mm. uh, as we'll get to, certainly did not understand each other very well and uh, took some t- took some time getting used to each other if they if they, they ever did i don't know yeah. yeah did you like the um did you like the last little bit where it mentions a certain um mighty mariner of song oh but he's so great at that he does that in this chapter and the very next yeah. one which we're going to discuss uh, shortly i can just feel like we're going to get that next kep- episode in the bag uh, in the near future ads yeah well i think um, we might need to i agree but no, he does, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he no, sets I, the scene, he's kind of like, he gives this little pointer, oh, this is going to come along, or actually, I'm not going to tell you anything apart from this, um, and then proceeds yeah, and to he, tell and he you says quite a lot. <laughs> you know, he says essentially at the end of the chapter, and then the powers decided to raise the mountains uh, unsurmountably high and put a, you know, an unpassable barrier that no one ever did. Except yeah. one guy, and then you're like, yeah. "Oh, okay, here we go." And, ooh, ooh. and I'm not, I'm not going to go too much, but that one guy, there is apparently, I was looking into this, a second prophecy of Mandos that this individual will return from the sky for the love of the sun and the moon um, that Melkor would otherwise have tried to blot out and then fight in the Dagor Dagorath, which is, I believe, the end of the end of time, the end of world. Yeah, nice little connection to the sun and the moon with this very famous, fantastic, wonderful um, individual um, that we will learn to love in a few chapters' time, I would say. Yeah, not too many. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I think that takes us right to the end of this chapter, Ads. Before we head out, uh, usually at the beginning of the show, we we say hi to people and and we make excuses for the mistakes we make and uh, things like that. Uh, we just wanted to jump right into conversation, but I think now ads would be a good time for those who have listened to the end. Um, if you want to, you know, tune out and uh, see us next show when we get back into the chapter talk, we're probably done with the chapter talk now, but I'd like to just say hello to some people. Yeah, um, go for it. And thank some people and also uh, chit-chat with you just a little bit about um, where we're going with the show from here. So, yeah, l- let me start by just saying uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, I was really, really pleased when we lost the last episode. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. But I was really pleased when um, we found out that people were sort of anxious to get it. 
Uh, that was a nice feeling because we were. I was certainly very, very frustrated that we we, we recorded a few weeks ago now and and uh, the audio was lost. But um, it was really nice, and it, it just reminds me that the community, the people um, that we talk to on the other end of these microphones, uh, are really patient and really friendly and really fun and uh, really supportive. So thanks, guys. Uh, I'm talking a lot. Uh, to our ring bearers, Pepper and Caitlin. I'm talking uh, to Jeff Lasala. I'm talking to the guys at the Prancing Pony. I'm talking to um, Barry, and I'm talking to Sarah, and I'm talking to Olga. Um, I wish Wh- I could name everybody Sarah? by name. Which Sarah? No. Oh, why'd you do that? They were all covered. <laughs> There's about eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I, no, I, I'd like yeah. to second that. I mean, all, all of the people in our Facebook group, basically, who have just kept with us and and continue to support and they're just great and and we've said this before you know they they have become they've become friends haven't they chums you know we we kind Absolutely. of like really enjoy interacting and even though we haven't maybe put the episodes out as quickly that hasn't stopped us in the facebook group you know speaking you know on a very regular basis so um, that's been really no, it's good it's been great yeah yeah and t- you know tanya and mike and and, and just everybody ruben a whole bunch of great great people um, Ashik, especially Ashik. God, I love that guy. He's funny. Um, so yeah, I wanted to just <laughs> shout, shout you guys out and say thanks for the support. We're, we'll get to the episodes out as, when we can. Um, we're, we're working on it, and we haven't uh, forgotten about it. We're just uh, we're just doing our best, and uh, yeah, we, we love you guys. But yeah. um, beyond that, as I also wanted to say, and I also wanted to bring up um, and mention the going forward with the show, we're going to try not to do what I just did and apologize for the, the pace. We are going to try, <laughs> however, to get out. Um, you know, an episode a month is our goal. We, we, we figure if we get a dozen out at the end of the year, uh, we're doing pretty good. So, you know, try to hold us to that. Keep us encouraged. Uh, chime in because the best thing you can do um, to light the fire under us is keep us engaged. Yeah. Uh, it's not that we willfully uh, ignore anything, but just uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's, it is what it is. So we'd love to have you engaged. So please chime in with questions, with things you want to hear, if there's stuff you want to talk to us about, I'd love to bring the mailbag back out um, for, for a future episode. So, uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to mention all of those things. And yeah. this, is a, this, is as much, this is as much for you as it has for us. You know, this is, this is your podcast as well as it's um, something that, you know, that, that we've started and, and tried to, to here, build here. on. Yeah, so yes, sir. your podcasts, good podcasts, I think, are ones that develop and... and um, and work with the audience and so if there's things as James said that you would like us to do more of and things that you would like us to do less of then let us know yes sir thanks Ed and as always May uh, thanks for popping by with snacks Um, but yeah no May May, uh, couldn't be here for most of the show but I know she loves to do this as well and always enjoys um, hearing your feedback if you haven't done so already Check out her YouTube channel, especially in the last, uh, I want to say, several months. She's really been putting a lot of great content uh, on her YouTube channel. If you want to find it, uh, she's at May K. Hella. Uh, That's May like the month, K like the letter, Hella like the time you're going to (laughs) have when you go over there. Hella good time. (laughs) I was wondering um, where you were going to go with that. <laughs> You've done yeah, well there. It's going to be great. Yeah, thank you. That just uh, happened on the spot, but that's got to be her new slogan, right, Ed? I reckon. Um, check her out. She's got some great stuff over there. Uh, Ice Bath was the most recent one I watched, but there's uh, Viking Bread, I think, still has the most hits. Uh, masculinity has the most comments. 
Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good channel with really, really interesting content, and she puts a lot of work into it. And not just, not just what she says. Uh, that's all well thought, thought out and planned out. But, um, but a, a lot of it, the, the last video I watched, it wasn't um, Ice Bath, actually. It was the one where she uh, longs for summer. I don't think it's the last one she put out, but it's the last one I watched. Okay. And she really did a smart job editing that one. Ads, if you haven't checked it out yet, she um, she like she goes and stands in her in her you know by her pear tree. All right. Yesterday in the winter, and she's like, ah, it was so nice when it was full of fruit. But then she cuts back. She has footage from then, and she has footage from the spring when the buds were coming in. Oh, and she she's, edits all to. She's yeah, really she's clever brilliant. at that. Yeah, she's, she's really brilliant. good. And it's a really fun, uh, well put together uh, YouTube video. So, check it out, everyone. Indeed. And for you, ads. Yes. What's on the plate? What's what's on your uh, menu? And what do you? Uh, what, who do you want to say hello and goodbye to before we uh, kick off for the night? Well, I suppose I should, as you know, we touched on before. We should say on social media we do have, you know, a nice little presence. Um, less personal uh, would be our Twitter account, but still, you know, come along, say hi, join up on there we've got a growing number so that's at the green door pod and then uh on facebook uh behind sort of a private um or in a private space we've got the green door podcast so if you come knock on the door you will uh find that it is opened and you can then come on in and take part in all of the fun discussion um that goes on in there and as i said it is it is on a pretty much daily basis there are various um bits that are done by some of the uh the friends that are in there so you know there's blogs and um uh, there's that fantastic one uh, that olga does um there's um yeah there's some another really one that sarah great does ideas and opinions uh, there, yeah, yeah there's just there's just really good content in there and um i don't know how we've managed it, it, it it's um it's not sort of something we're doing, certainly, but there appears to be only nice people in there, which is which is great. So I know it's how a we're safe managing and it. secure place. Good people attract good people. Ah, there we go. That's what it is, Ed. And you're a good people, so uh, always fun to do this with you. I'm glad you made it out tonight, buddy. Yeah, likewise. Um, well, we, I think we should probably, if you if you fancy it, we should probably brave outside and see if we can find what those damn doors have done. I'm a little bit worried what Gaff is going to say to us tomorrow, otherwise. Assess the damage. That's, that is a good idea. Let's uh, throw a, a log on the fire okay. uh, and make sure that the uh, screen is closed. We'll go and take a quick peek on the dwarves and say goodnight to everybody. Yeah, good stuff. Well, look, I'll start off. I'll say um, have, a great, have a great time. We uh, are loving the fact uh, that we're back. Look out for us, especially at unlikely times. Good night, dear hobbits. And I'm... James saying, keep your feet and happy wandering, everybody. See you later. Actually, maybe I should confess something. I uh, recorded an a cappella version of the Misty Mountain song. I just ended up like recording the acoustic, I mean the uh, a cappella version, but yeah, might be might be fun to plug it in somewhere. <laughs>